Not, Green said, that he's a pucker fence, but my guess is he knows somebody who is. I'd say he passes the hot goods on pretty damn quick. That way he don't get caught in possession if the coppers ever get round to giving the place a going over. You think they're likely to? Well, you never know, do you? The drawback to dealing with him from my point of view is I don't get such a good price for my merchandise. I'm thinking of giving him a miss one of these days and going straight to the other guy. But how will you manage that? I mean, Mr Heathcliff isn't likely to tell you who he is. No matter. There's others in the market. I'll find somebody. I know a few people who might point me in the right direction. I'll get around and keep my eyes and ears open. Crane could believe this. They spent the rest of the day just drifting around, with Green acting as a guide. Having made the one early pickup, he seemed to regard this as enough for one day. The rest of the time was free. They lunched in style on burgers and fries at a McDonald's, and they went to a cinema when they were tired of walking. They were back at Letterby House in time for whatever Rupert had to offer for the evening meal. Mr Heathcliff was at home, and Green went straight to his sanctum with the electric drill. When he rejoined Crane in the common room, he was seething. That old bastard, he confided to Crane, keeping his voice low so that no one else in the room could hear. He would only give me five quid. Five lousy quid, I ask you. Well, that settles it. No more goods for the bishop, not from me. I'll go find somebody what's an honest dealer. Which was rather a contradiction in terms, Crane thought, bearing in mind the kind of person he was talking about. But he did not say so. Several days passed, and Crane had not yet found a job. The fact of the matter was that he had not been looking for one with any great dedication. All he had done was glance through the classified advertisements of vacancies in a newspaper and conclude that none of the jobs on offer was quite the thing for him. Most of his time had been spent going round with Charlie Green and being instructed in the finer points of pilfering from cars and shops without being spotted by spy cameras or store detectives. Bag-snatching was not in his repertoire. He drew the line at that. He regarded bag-snatchers, especially those who preyed on elderly women, as the lowest of the low. In a word, scum. You gotta have certain standards, ain't ya? I mean to say, it's nasty, innit? Besides which, you can get caught running off, and the bag might not have anything in it to make it worth the aggro anyway, see what I mean? Not that he was doing terribly well in his own line. He was having a thin time with the cars, and most of the stores seemed to be too well guarded to risk lifting anything from them. The result was that he was getting a bit short of cash, and Crane was paying rather more than his fair share of the expenses. The drain that this put on his small amount of capital was causing it to shrink at an alarming rate, and he could see no real prospect of halting this shrinkage. It bothered him a little, in fact somewhat more than a little, but when he mentioned this to Green he was told not to worry. You get times like this when nothing seems to go right, then, hey presto, things look up, happens all the time which might possibly have been his experience, but it failed to dispel Crane's feeling of anxiety. "'Something'll turn up,' Green said. "'Well, I hope so, because the bishop will be looking for some more money from me for board and lodgings.' "'Sod the bishop,' Green said. And that was the way matters stood until an occurrence that brought things to a head rather more quickly than either of them had been expecting. Though, in fact, it was something that Green had predicted. Mr Heathcliff paid a visit to Crane's attic bedroom late one night. Crane had been asleep, and he awoke to discover a hand probing under the bedclothes. It was a shock, and not a pleasant one. The fingers felt cold on his skin, 
and he could hear someone breathing heavily, apparently leaning over him so that their two heads were quite close together. He gave a yell and got an arm free and struck out blindly with his clenched fist. The fist made contact with some part of the other person's body. He heard a gasp and the groping fingers were pulled away. Then a voice said, Now, now, Paul, there's no need for violence. And it was Mr. Heathcliff's voice, as unctuous as ever. It's only me. Don't be alarmed, dear boy. You have such a fine young body. So nice and smooth, this skin is. Quite delightful. Then the fingers started groping again, and for the moment Crane simply froze. He just could not believe what was happening, even though Charlie Green had warned him. It was so far outside his experience. Nothing like this would ever have happened in Uncle George's house, not in a million years.'